0: This is a LibriVox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org what i saw in america by gk chesterton section 12 chapter 6 part 2 in the american country For instance, so far as I am concerned, it is the whole point about feminism and the factory. It is very largely the point about feminism and many other callings apparently more cultured than the factory, such as the law court and the political platform. When I see women so wildly anxious to tie themselves to all this machinery of the modern city, my first feeling is not indignation but that dark and ominous sort of pity with which we should see a crowd rushing to embark on a leaking ship under a towering storm. When I see wives and mothers going in for business government, I not only regard it as a bad business, but as a bankrupt business. It seems to me very much as if the peasant women, just before the French Revolution, had insisted on being made duchesses, or, as is quite as logical and likely, on being made dukes. It is as if those ragged women, instead of crying out for bread, had cried out for powder and patches. By the time they were wearing them they would be the only people wearing them, for powder and patches soon went out of fashion. But bread does not go out of fashion. In the same way, if women desert the family for the factory they may find they have only done it for a deserted factory. It would have been very unwise of the lower orders to claim all the privileges of the higher orders in the last days of the French monarchy. It would have been very laborious to learn the science of heraldry or the tables of precedence when all such things were at once most complicated and most moribund. It would be tiresome to be taught all those tricks just when the whole bag of tricks was coming to an end. A French satirist might have written a fine epilogue about Jacques Bonami coming up to Paris in his wooden shoes and demanding to be made gold stick in waiting in the name of liberty, equality, and fraternity. But I fear the stick in waiting would be waiting still. One of the first topics on which I heard conversation turning in America was that of a very interesting book called Main Street which involves many of these questions of the modern industrial and the eternal feminine. It is simply the story, or perhaps rather the study, than the story, of a young married woman in one of the multitudinous little towns on the great central plains of America, and of a sort of struggle between her own more restless culture and the provincial prosperity of her neighbours. There are a number of true and telling suggestions in the book, but the one touch which I found tingling in the memory of many readers was the last sentence, in which the master of the house, with unshaken simplicity, merely asks for the whereabouts of some domestic implement. I think it was a screwdriver. It seems to me a harmless request. But from the way people talked about it, one might suppose he had asked for a screwdriver to screw down the wife in her coffin. And a great many advanced persons would tell us that the wooden house in which she lived really was like a wooden coffin. But this appears to me to be taking a somewhat funereal view of the life of humanity. For, after all, on the face of it, at any rate, this is merely the life of humanity, and even the life which all humanitarians have strived to give to humanity. Revolutionists have treated it not only as the normal, but even as the ideal revolutionary wars have been waged to establish this, revolutionary heroes have fought, and revolutionary martyrs have died, only to build such a wooden house for such a worthy family. Men have taken the sword and perished by the sword, in order that the poor gentleman might have liberty to look for his screwdriver. For there is here a fact about America that is almost entirely unknown in England. The English have not in the least realized the real strength of America we in england hear a great deal we hear far too much about the economic energy of industrial america about the money of mr morgan or the machinery of mr edison we never realize that while we in england suffer from the same sort of successes in capitalism and clockwork we have not got what the americans have got something at least to balance it in the way of a free agriculture a vast field of free farms dotted with small freeholders. For the reason I shall mention in a moment, they are not perhaps in the fullest and finest sense of peasantry, but they are in the practical and political sense of pure peasantry in that their comparative equality is a true counterweight to the toppling injustices of the towns. And even in places like that described as Main Street, that comparative equality can immediately be felt. The men may be provincials, but they are certainly citizens. They consult on a common basis, and I repeat that in this, after all, they do achieve what many prophets and righteous men have died to achieve. This plain village, fairly prosperous, fairly equal, untaxed by tyrants, and untroubled by wars, is, after all, the place which reformers have regarded as their aim, whenever reformers have used their wits sufficiently, to have any aim. The march to Utopia, the march to the earthly paradise, the march to the New Jerusalem, has been very largely the march to Main Street, and the latest modern sensation is a book written to show how wretched it is to live there. All this is true, and I think the lady might be more contented in her coffin, which is more comfortably furnished than most of the coffins where her fellow-creatures live nevertheless there is an answer to this or at least a modification of it there is a case for the lady and a case against the gentleman and the screwdriver and when we have noted what it really is we have noted the real disadvantage in a situation like that of modern america and especially the middle west and with that we come back to the truth with which i started this speculation the truth that few have yet realized but of which i for one am more and more convinced that industrialism is spreading because it is decaying, that only the dust and ashes of its dissolution are choking up the growth of natural things everywhere and turning the green world grey. In this relative agricultural equality, the Americans of the Middle West are far in advance of the English of the twentieth century. It is not their fault if they are still some centuries behind the English of the twelfth century. But the defect by which they fall short of being a true peasantry is that they do not produce their own spiritual food, in the same sense as their own material food. They do not, like some peasantries, create other kinds of culture beside the kind called agriculture. Their culture comes from the great cities, and that is where all the evil comes from. If a man had gone across England in the Middle Ages, or even across Europe in more recent times, he would have found a culture which showed its vitality by its variety. We know the adventures of the three brothers in the old fairy tales who passed across the endless plain from city to city and found one kingdom ruled by a wizard and another wasted by a dragon, one people living in castles of crystal and another sitting by fountains of wine. These are but legendary enlargements of the real adventures of the traveller passing from one patch of peasantry to another, and finding women wearing strange head-dresses and men singing new songs. A traveller in America would be somewhat surprised if he found the people in the city of St. Louis all wearing crowns and crusading armour in honour of their patron saint. He might even feel some faint surprise if he found all the citizens of Philadelphia clad in a composite costume combining that of a quaker with that of a red indian in honour of the noble treaty of william penn yet these are the sort of local and traditional things that would really be found giving variety to the valleys of medieval europe i myself felt a perfectly genuine and generous exhilaration of freedom and fresh enterprise in new places like oklahoma but you would hardly find in oklahoma what was found in Oberramagau? What goes to Oklahoma is not the peasant play, but the cinema. And the objection to the cinema is not so much that it goes to Oklahoma, as that it does not come from Oklahoma. In other words, these people have on the economic side a much closer approach than we have to economic freedom. It is not for us who have allowed our land to be stolen by squires, and then vulgarized by sham squires to sneer at such colonists as mere crude and prosaic they at least have really kept something of the simplicity and therefore the dignity of democracy and that democracy may yet save their country even from the calamities of wealth and science but while these farmers do not need to become industrial in order to become industrious they do tend to become industrial in so far as they become intellectual. Their culture and to some great extent their creed do come along the railroads from the great modern urban centres and bring with them a blast of death and a reek of rotting things. It is that influence that alone prevents the Middle West from progressing towards the Middle Ages. For, after all, linked up in a hundred legends of the Middle Ages may be found a symbolic pattern of hammers and nails and saws, and there is no reason why they should not have also sanctified screwdrivers. There is no reason why the screwdriver that seemed such a trifle to the author should not have been born in triumph down Main Street like a sword of state in some pageant of the Guild of St. Joseph of the Carpenters or St. Dunstan of the Smiths. It was the Catholic poetry on piety that filled common life with something that is lacking in the worthwhile and virile democracy of the West. Nor are the Americans of intelligence so ignorant of this as some may suppose. There is an admirable society called the Medievalists in Chicago, whose name and address will strike many as suggesting a certain struggle of the soul against the environment. With the national hardiness they blaze on their note-paper with heraldry, and the hues of Gothic windows. With the national high spirits, they assume the fancy dress of friars. But any one who should essay to laugh at them, instead of with them, would find out his mistake. For many of them do really know a great deal about medievalism, much more than I do, or most other men brought up on an island that is crowded with its cathedrals. Something of the same spirit may be seen in the beautiful new plans on the buildings of Yale, deliberately modelled not on classical harmony, but on Gothic irregularity and surprise. The grace and energy of the medieval architecture resurrected by a man like Mr. R. A. Cram of Boston has behind it not merely artistic, but historical and ethical enthusiasm, an enthusiasm for the Catholic creed which made medieval civilization. Even on the huge Puritan plains of the Middle West, the influence strays in the strangest fashion. And it is notable that among the pessimistic epithets of the Spoon River Anthology, in that churchyard, compared with which most churchyards are cheery, among the suicides and secret drinkers and monomaniacs and hideous hypocrites of that happy village, almost the only record of respect and a recognition of wider hopes is dedicated to the Catholic priest. But Main Street is Main Street in the main. Main Street is modern street, and its multiplicity of mildly half-educated people and all these historic things are a thousand miles from them. They have not heard the ancient noise, either of arts or arms, the building of the cathedral or the marching of the crusade, but at least they have not deliberately slandered the crusade and defaced the cathedral, and if they have not produced the peasant arts, they can still produce the peasant crafts. THEY CAN SOW, AND PLOW, AND REAP, AND LIVE BY THESE EVERLASTING THINGS, NOR SHALL THE FOUNDATIONS OF THEIR STATE BE MOVED, AND THE MEMORY OF THOSE COLOSSAL FIELDS OF THOSE FRUITFUL DESERTS CAME BACK THE MORE READILY TO MY MIND, BECAUSE I FINISHED THESE REFLECTIONS IN THE VERY HEART OF A MODERN INDUSTRIAL CITY, IF IT CAN BE SAID TO HAVE A HEART. IT WAS, IN FACT, AN ENGLISH INDUSTRIAL CITY, BUT IT STRUCK ME THAT IT MIGHT VERY WELL BE AN AMERICAN ONE. AND IT ALSO STRUCK ME THAT WE YIELD RATHER TOO EASILY TO AMERICA, THE DUSTY PALM OF INDUSTRIAL ENTERPRISE, AND FEEL FAR TOO LITTLE APPREHENSION ABOUT GREENER AND FRESHER VEGETABLES. THERE IS A STORY OF AN AMERICAN WHO CAREFULLY STUDIED ALL THE SIGHTS OF LONDON OR ROME OR PARIS AND CAME TO THE CONCLUSION THAT IT HAD NOTHING ON MINNEAPOLIS. IT SEEMS TO ME THAT MINNEAPOLIS HAS NOTHING ON MANCHESTER. There were the same grey vistas of shops, full of rubber tires and metallic appliances. A man felt he might walk a day without seeing a blade of grass. The whole horizon was so infinite with efficiency. The factory chimneys might have been Pittsburgh. The sky signs might have been New York. One looked up in a sort of despair at the sky, not for a sky sign, but in a sense for a sign, for some sentence of significance and judgment by the instinct that makes any man in such a scene, seek for the only thing that has not been made by men. But even that was illogical, for it was night, and I could only expect to see the stars, which might have reminded me of old glory. But that was not the sign that oppressed me. All the ground was a wilderness of stone, and all the buildings a forest of brick. I was far in the interior of a labyrinth of lifeless things. Only looking up between two black chimneys and a telegraph pole, I saw vast and far and faint as the first men saw it the silver pattern of the plough. The end of section twelve, the end of Chapter six.